You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. chapter 20 verse 18 so bear with me it's a little long now lot went out of zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters for he was afraid to live in zoar so he lived in a cave with his two daughters and the firstborn said to the younger our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth come let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made the father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son, and she called his name Ben-Ammai. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. From there, now we're in chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. He sojourned in Gerar, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought, there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife, 
And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This is the word of the Lord. Scripture, and it's uh, not my favorite Bible verse. Um, there's two lessons we can learn this from this very easily. Two lessons: do not make offspring with your offspring, and do not lie about being married. That's real easy. We can walk away from that knowing that. So if that if I mess everything else up from here on out, know those two things especially you guys. Um, this is a hard, difficult, and ugly scripture. But it's God's word, and so we're going to dig into it. So there's several things as we look at history, even in our own history, the world history, American history, even Christian history, that are not attractive and not fun to look at and not fun to study. I mean, we think of world history, we can think of uh, the atrocities of Adolf Hitler and uh, the persecution of the Jews. Um, with our own history and American history, we can think of the mistreatment of slaves and how we've treated Native Americans. We have to look at those things, and it's things we cannot kind of dodge or skate around. Uh, in Christian history, we can't even avoid that act of what happened with the uh, Crusades. These things actually happened. But to... Um, just ignore them or pretend they didn't happen uh, would have dire effects as well. We have to learn from our history, and we can learn from the Bible as well. We have to look into it and see why God has allowed this to be placed here. What benefit is it for us? Um, it's not just those two things I've already mentioned, that's for sure. I think there's a little bit of Lot and Abraham in each and every one of us, and we all have the danger of going down a path that can bring us to a place we don't want to be, a place we never intended to be, and a place we never intended to go. And with that, we're just going to go right into this and see what the Word of God's going to teach us through this. We're going to have a lot, there's questions that need to be answered. Like, for example, uh, I think of how in the world somebody like Lot, how did Lot, first I wonder, how did Lot get here? Because he didn't get to this spot where he's hiding off in a cave overnight, it didn't happen overnight. If you remember, Lot started out with Abraham, and he was wealthy. So here we are, how many chapters later, how many years later, and all he has, all his sustenance, everything that he has, he's hidden away in a cave. So it wasn't overnight. And still, we hear what happened here, offspring by his offspring. He's still called righteous. How in the world does that work? Doesn't even make sense in our category of righteousness. We learn it's not his righteousness. And another question we'll have is, how is it Abraham, with his repeated cycle of deceiving, 
self-preservation and being unprotective of his wife became known as the celebrated father of our faith. It doesn't make no sense to me that these two guys on these trajectories could be called righteous and could be called fathers of the faith, those kind of things. How does that even work? And so what lessons can we learn from these two old geezers? Because I just, I'm reading this and I don't, I don't, know how we got how we got there we think how did he get here and with lot it didn't start in a cave in fact um lot and abraham both actually remind me of the proverbs 26 11 guy like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly they keep going back and doing the same things over and over i don't know i don't think any of you or i struggle with that but we do don't we how, how, did, how do I get to a place where I'm consistently going, God, I'm never going to do that again. And a week later or an hour later, I'm saying the same thing or doing the same thing. So I think there are a little bit of Lot and Abraham in us as well. We have a tendency to take things into our own way of thinking and try to take things into our own control and base things on based on what we're seeing and not what the actual word of God is and who we are in Christ. So Lot, how did Lot get here? It seems to start, like I said, back when Abram, it was Abram at the time, and Lot were growing together. Their flocks were growing together. And Lot got to a place where, and Abraham got to a place where they decided to go separate ways so there wouldn't be any strife. They couldn't get along. The, the herds were getting too big. We studied that a few, several weeks ago we got into that. And it comes, it happens in chapter 13 of Genesis. And Abraham gave him like the choice of you go the one way or I'll go the other way. And Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. And here's a key. This is what's key to me. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So it wasn't good enough to just be in the valley. He moved closer to Sodom, where it says, it goes on to say, in verse 13, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So he's going closer to where the sin is, and he, he's going to recognize this. He's got to recognize this. And we're going to find out later that he's going to go back to the same thing after leaving there. The fact is that Lot made, Lot made his decision based on what his eyes told him, what it looked like. He made his conscious decision to move even closer to the wicked city of Sodom. He pitched his tent as far as Sodom. That means he didn't have to go all the way that far. His decision... This is key here. This is key in Lot's family and what kind of mindsets occurred as you're growing up in a corrupt neighborhood or a bad neighborhood or you allow certain influences in your family to our children, the things we might show on TV or allow our kids to see on TV, that's kind of like the same kind of mindset that Lot, I think, is dealing with here. What are we allowing in our houses and for our kids to see sometimes? We've got to question that. And so I'm looking here and I see his decision endangered and corrupted his thinking and the thinking of his family as we will see shortly it affects his daughters we're going to see that later as well thus we see that Lot's sin began with a desire for prosperity to the point that he compromised 
So, let's learn in here that sin will take you farther than you want to go. Things of the eyes. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. I know we may have heard this saying before, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Every one of us in this room is in danger of sin that can take us down that trap, that slippery slope. And that it seems like that was written, that saying was written for Lot. It started in Sodom, moving close to, closer to Sodom. And as we're going to see, it, it's going to cost him more. Ironically, I looked up where that quote came from. The original quote, as far as I could find on the computer, was from Ravi Zacharias. And that just kind of sent a shudder in my spine that the guy who, they said, quoted that. Sounds like he lived that. Just a warning for us all to think that we could ever get to a place where we, wouldn't fall, we couldn't fall into that trap. The, the devil and his tactics have taken away, taken out far greater, far greater Christians than the ones standing here and even greater ones that standing in this room or sitting in this room. So I think we should heed the warning of what we see in Lot's life. So just a chapter after that, Lot moves closer to Sodom, and a, a chapter later, he finds out that sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. So I preached on this a few weeks ago, where uh, Abram had to rescue Lot with his 318 army rangers, the same ones that were fighting Saturday at the men's retreat, right, against the Air Force. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I was in the army, that's a joke. But anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, the 318 soldiers of, of Abraham have to rescue Lot. And they rescue Lot out of this situation where he's... So Lot is taken captive by all these kings. Um, what does he do when he get back? He goes right back to Sodom. He's rescued out of this mess. He's rec rescued out of... Uh, his family was taken captive. Everything is lost... Abraham intercedes, as we see again, Abraham the intercessor, and he goes right back to it. I mean, to me, I'm like, it's like your kid when he runs on the street. Like, what? And then he goes back. Like, what are you doing? Stop it. Would you just knock it off? And then I think, like I said a couple minutes ago, how many, I mean, how many times have I done that with different things? So Lot returns to Sodom, the very place that got him into the predicament in the first place. And we don't hear another thing from Lot until once again he needs to be rescued. And Uncle Abraham's going to intercede once again on behalf of the whole city of Sodom. Abraham uh, pleads from 50 down to 40, down to 30, down to 20, down to 10. And we find that at the end, in the end, it's Lot and his wife and his two daughters that are exiting the place the sons don't believe him the son-in-laws don't believe him and so they're running out of the they're the ones who are going to leave the place I don't I want to say they're running out of the place because as we're going to discover in a little bit it didn't go quite that well so we see in uh, verse 1916 of Genesis that Lot is, is lingering 
He's just hanging out. Like, I'm telling you, you need to leave. Your house is on fire. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. I want to go do this. I want to go down here and get that. I want to stay a while. Your house is on fire, man. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it says, and the angels seized him. It's like, this way. So they grabbed him and his daughters and his wife. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And now it's going to a place as we're exiting out of this little chapter of Lot's life that we find that sin is going to cost him more than he wants to pay. So in route to Zor, Lot's wife looks back and is no more. She's turned to a pillar of salt. This is where we pick up in 19, chapter 19, verse 30. Now the message, I guess. I mean, that was all background. Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. Imagine our houses that we have. Maybe imagine the house, your dream house. Imagine going from that to hiding in a cave. Because sin took you in a place you didn't want to go. It cost you everything. So here we find... Lot fleeing Zoar, which means little town of insignificance. The very place that he requested to escape, he requested to the angels, let me go to Zoar. It's just a small town. It's only got a little bit of sin. I only go to that town. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life would be saved, he said to the angel. Behold, I grant you this favor that I will not overthrow the city which you have spoken. We can only speculate to why is, um, why Lot left Zoar. Some of the ideas are that he f- he feared that it would be destroyed as well, and it was originally Zoar was originally slated to be destroyed. Or he got there and spent some time there and realized these guys are just in bad shape as the ones in Sodom, so it's surely going to be destroyed. These are all speculations, and so he saw that there was great sin there as well, and so fear overcame Lot and so he decided to leave. Lot and his daughters are now living in a cave. He had lived the rich life and now is live living in a as a cave dweller. So now we enter the saga of the I was gonna say something, but I'm not gonna say it this way. But we enter the saga of the these dement these messed up sisters. And Joanne covered it. I don't really it's just you look at it and you think, what in the world? And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. There is not a man on earth to come to us in the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with their father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It says it in the Bible. It's true. God records the bad things as well as the great things and the good things and everything in between. There are three things that uh, come to mind here as I was studying this. 
The sisters thought that, they were the, that there was no one else on earth. It says that. Why did they thought that? I don't know. Maybe they thought the rest of the world was going to be destroyed too because of all the wickedness. But it's not really clearly answered. But we do know one thing. They knew they were wrong in this sin. They knew they were wrong. Because why else would they have gotten their father drunk? That's just a logical answer to that. And it also says, the third point is that Lot wasn't aware of what happened. And this happens first with the older sister and then with the younger sister. I'm not going to bother repeating the same thing again, what happened. It happens twice with the older sister and the younger sister. So, it says in verse 36 though, Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called him called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So in their attempt to preserve Lot's offspring, the daughters kind of not do the, quite the opposite. I wouldn't call it the opposite, but it's definitely not a blessing in the sense that the Moabites and the Ammonites become enemies of Abraham's offspring. And I didn't, want, I didn't go dig into this too, too deep, but God reconciles that as well. If you read the story of Ruth, you'll see where God, through the power of the kinsman redeemer, brings back in the Moabite nation. And that line is the line that we have attained salvation. You should read that on your own. I'm not gonna, I have, there's too much here to get into everything. So, Moab means from father. Ben-Ami means son of my paternal kinsman. The names even explain what's going on there. They turn out not only be the father of two nations, but the enemies of Abraham's descendants. So, the Abraham Abraham's descendants, who've got it all together, right? And Abraham has it all together too. So what a curse that Lot has been. This little nephew has been on Abraham, right? Not quite. Abraham has a little problem too uh, of claiming uh, his wife, although she was his sister. So Lot's uncle Abraham, who doesn't follow God flawlessly like we would think, has issues as well. Now as we move into chapter 20, from there it says, Abraham journeyed toward the Terry territory of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur and he journeyed to Gerar or in Gerar so the uh, Gerar area is opposite it's like going the opposite direction of Sodom almost as far as the Great Sea almost as, so you have the Dead Sea on this side and the Great Sea over here and it's a, a great distance he's going the opposite direction and the speculation is that Abraham might have been headed that direction as a reaction to seeing the devastation of Sodom. And Abraham said to his wife Sarah, She is my sister, verse 2, She is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Here's the actions of uh, the father of our faith, Abraham, not acting like the father of any faith or even a good husband, for sure. Here we go again. Part 2, Act 2. This week playing Abimelech, or playing the Pharaoh, is Abimelech. It's the same story again. 
Abraham fails big time. He denies wife, his wife Sarah, in doing so fails to protect her integrity as a person and as his wife. She was, by the way, she was within one year of the promised child that is in that window. So he should have been protecting not only her integrity and her as a wife, but he should have been protecting God's plan in this. So he failed to protect God's plan and her purity in that. And then Abraham failed to protect and trust God's plan and promises. He failed to trust in God's plan and promises. But the mercy of God would not have it. And it says in verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, I mean, if I'm having a dream like that, I don't know if I'm going to wake up or what's going to happen, but that's going to rattle me if I'm having a dream where God's coming to tell me I'm a dead man. So I imagine this had a huge impact on Abimelech. So what it says here is that in the term you are a dead man is stating that Abimelech is not, not that he's dead yet, but that if he continues on this trajectory, that he's going, he is good as dead. Not only him, but all his kingdom. Everything would be ruined if he doesn't take corrective action. But if he restores her, God will preserve his life and his nation. And it says in verse 4, Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? That sounds a lot like when Abraham interceded for the nation, uh, for Sodom, doesn't it? Will you kill an innocent people? When he went down from 50 to, we end up with this three left when it's all said and done. But it sounds like he's, it sounds strikingly similar to that. Nonetheless, Abimelech makes a plea of innocence based on the fact that Abraham deceived him, stating, Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. I'm going to come back to that. Now, I wondered when I'm reading this, how many times God has kept me from doing really a, going down a path, kept me from sin, especially growing up as a teenager. I mean, I'm, I know God had to have this. I should have been in way worse trouble than I got. And God, even before I knew him, had his hand on me, protecting me from myself even protecting me from my environment. I wonder if any of us can think of like things like that where you can see God would must have had his hand on me. And just be thankful for that. It says in verse 7, Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. This is the first time that the term he is a prophet or prophet is mentioned in the Bible. So that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return to her, if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours. It's not only has this sin been against Abraham, though Abraham deceived him, but all sin is against God. But through that, God also makes a way to reconciliation, to forgiveness. God provides immediate instruction that will protect, that will preserve and restore. 
because God is sovereign over all this, his plan is going to take effect. It's going to happen. So God preserved Sarah rightfully as Abraham's wife. God preserved Sarah's purity and the purity of marriage. God protects the covenant that he has with his people. God has a covenant with his people. Through Abraham, God has a covenant. He is going to protect that. There's nothing, in this world, there is nothing that can stand in the way of God's plan. You can have a pandemic. You can have a, a World War III. You can have all kinds of things. You can have corruption. You can have devastation in this, in this nation, in this world. But God's plan is still protected and it will happen. That is, that is one thing we for sure can learn from this. So God protects the covenant that he has with his people. And God protects and restores Kima Bemelech and the people of Gerar from total annihilation. Because Abimelech did not compromise in the purity of Sarah, he was still eligible for forgiveness through restoration, or restitution, I'm sorry, and intercession. So by returning Sarah to her husband, the prophet Abraham, he was able to have, Abraham was able to play an intercessory role on his behalf. Which resulted in the restoration of, a bit later of the people of Gerar. But in order for this to happen, Abimelech had to take action. He had to move fast. And that's exactly what he did. In verse 8 we read, So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. I know. I have a hunch when Abimelech said something, the people believed him. And in this case, they were definitely believing him because they were very much afraid. Now if somebody, if my kid or somebody came to me and said, I had a dream of such and such, I'm like, that's nice, but why are you troubled? They were definitely moved by this. They did not take it lightly. So Abimelech did not waste time. He rose early in the morning, and I wonder if he even, how he could possibly stay asleep after a dream like that. You ever have one of those dreams where you like, I'm not, you wake yourself up because you do not want to see what's going to happen next? It's so awful. I do. I have those, and I'm like, and then I'm relieved that is not the case here. He knew he had to take action. Like, if I woke up from a dream and have a dream like that, and I'm going to take action, then I'm going to know that God's voice spoke to me, is what he's thinking. The terror on his face and the seriousness of his demeanor must have been convincing. His servants were very much afraid as well. It says in Proverbs 8.13, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. To hate sin, to come to a place of hating sin. Can we get there? Can we get to a place where we hate sin so much? Do you know that awareness of unrepentant sin should bring us to our knees? And that's what's happening with Abimelech. It's driving him to take action. But for us as believers, if we become aware of a sin... And we're just going to kind of brush it aside or pretend it's not there. I and mean, we're messing with that slippery slope. We're messing with the sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. You're just flirting with disaster. So all sin is against God. And when you become aware of sin against God, it should cause us to repent. It should bring us to immediate action. Repent. In truth and conviction of heart. Repent 
in truth and conviction of heart. Acts 3, 19 to 20 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. When God shows you sin, that's the Spirit of God working in you. If you're a believer, if God is showing you sin, that's the Spirit of God working in you. That's his mercy for you. Because he wants to draw you to him. And if you do not know Christ, and you feel this conviction, this tinge, this, like, I need to change something that's not right, that's God doing a work in you, drawing you to himself. Don't leave it there. Act on it. Recognize the dangers, the damage, and the cost of sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. We're all sinners. It's not what we do, it is what we are. We are sinners. It's like that. That's what I used to do. But it's what you are. But we are a new creation in Christ as well. So notice, Abimelech moved with fear, took action, then wants to know why Abraham deceived him. He asks him in verse 9, verse nine 20 verse 9 says, Then Abimelech called Abram, Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us and how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not have been done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? So Abimelech was clearly wronged by Abraham. Abimelech wants to know why Abraham would do such a sin upon his kingdom. And he asks those three questions. And Abraham gives him three kind of lame excuses. First, he, takes, he, t- he tries to be like Adam and blame shift. There's no fear of God in this place. That's why I did it. That's why I was sinful. It's because there's no fear of God in this place. That's a blame shift. And then he was being self, a, a self-protective coward in the situation. You would kill me because of my wife. And what will happen to her? Well, gosh, I don't know what happened to her, Abraham. But you're supposed to, that's your wife. Do you believe God or not? That's what I was like going with this. God just said he's going to have, within this year, he's going to have offspring. The offspring, the child of promise is going to come. Isaac would be born. I mean, we know that. But he was told by God that this would happen. And he's still like, she's my sister. And then she said, he said, oh, she really is my sister. He's totally deceptive. He's blame shifting, and he's not trusting God, and he just keeps on deceiving. Goes back to it again. It's a cycle. It's a cycle for Abraham. It's his struggle. It's where he's always going back to. I'll just lie, and it'll protect me. Have you ever lie and just to protect yourself? To protect your integrity? Or protect yourself from your wife or your husband or your mom or your dad. And then you carry it around like it's a huge brick. If you got the Spirit of God working in you, you will be convicted by sin and should deal with it.
Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. She is indeed my sister. God gave her as your wife. He gave her to you as your wife. A gift. Your wife is a gift from God. And your fear of God, God called you. Abraham, God called you to be a, the promised nation, to have many descendants, believe in the promises of God. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. So Abimelech apparently recognized, recognized God's hand on the life of Abraham. Not because necessarily of his actions, but because of what God told him. He, belie he believed God. So he took action. So Abimelech still, in the, regardless of the fact that Abraham deceived him, Abimelech still showers him with gifts and adds to his wealth. And so he, he reacted because of the power that Abraham obviously wielded because of his promises from God. Because he is a prophet, he can play the he plays the role of the intercessor, intercessor for which Abimelech still needed from Abraham. To Sarah he said, "Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated." Now I came to that part. Behold, I have given you your brother. I'm like, well, is that sarcasm? To me, I'm like, here's your brother. Like, no, that's his wife. I'm like, so is he being sarcastic? I don't know. I'm just like, I looked at that and I'm going, I'm not sure if that was a statement of sarcasm or maybe he was just maintaining Sarah and Abraham's integrity in this. But then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and he also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And so as promised by God, Abraham's prayers enabled God to withdraw the judgment that was upon Abimelech and his nation. Healing wombs were opened, and everyone lived happily ever after. The Stanford of Closing Prayer, just kidding, not so fast. So, we look at these two lives, Lot and Abraham, and where God clearly demonstrates his mercy in both of these lives, because we read about uh, in Second Peter. Let me get to that later. Strike that. But we're going to read that these two men seemingly still, who are in two different trajectories, still are, they're in the faith. They're counted as righteous. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know how in the world God allowed me to be in his kingdom. I can look back and say, what a jerk I've been. I, if it was up to me, if I was God, I would have saw me down there, and I would just left a greasy spot there. I, that's what I deserve. That's what we all deserve. But God is faithful and merciful and loving and kind. So these two men, emboldened Abraham has emboldened one minute to go into a battle with 318 soldiers and not, you know, take no prisoners, just kicks butt, freezes um, nephew Lot. And then the next minute, he's stumbling and wavering and lying about who his wife is. 
any hint of danger and Abraham's kind of backing out. Lying to Abimelech, lying to a Pharaoh, not trusting the Lord. He just cannot shake this habitual cycle of sin, it seems. She's my, she's my sister. How does that work? It's not how it works, it's how God works. What causes Abraham to do that? I think Abraham's looking at the circumstances rather than the promises of God. He turns to his own practice of deceiving. We got our things we go back to. Do you ever fall back to the same stupid sin? Like, here I am again. Instead of trusting in God's promises, instead of trusting that I'm a new creation, and so he embraces fear and self-preservation over God's promises and protecting his wife's purity. How often do you look at your circumstances when you should first look to God? Do I look at my circumstances and think, Oh God, what's happening to me? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take my corrective action and do this in it. How often do you do that? Am I the only one? It's just me? Because I think we all struggle with that. When are we going to learn to trust in God's promises? To trust in what God says? So Lot, on the other hand, apparently victimized by his own daughters, but in reality he's victimized by his own decisions, his own deceitfulness in himself. And he compromised their innocence when he chose to move closer to Sodom, closer to sin, closer to trouble. Making decisions based on what he saw, he thought was valuable to the standard of the world that he lived He's making his decisions based on the world's standards. I mean, how many times have I found myself doing that? I need to have this, this, and this because it's what the world says. But what does Christ say? What does God's word say? But what Lot did find was that his choices took him where he really didn't want to go. It cost him more than he wanted to pay. He, sound, he, he looks like, it seems like Lot found himself trapped in his pursuits. He couldn't let him go. He kept making compromises. It's all about money, it seemed like, with Lot. Riches. It's no wonder that God warns us of the dangers of the pursuit of money. It's cost many a person their walk with God. Lot's sin kept him longer than he wanted to stay as we've seen. Do we include God in our pursuits? I'm just wondering. I ask myself that. I think we should always ask ourselves that. Is this what I'm about to do? Have the kingdom of heaven in mind? And I'm not talking about what you eat for lunch and dinner and those things, but when it comes to the serious matters, when you're going to take a big step, are you considering what God would have you do? Or are you just going, feels good. Looks good. And then when we realize something is probably wrong, that we're doing the wrong thing, do we sometimes linger where we shouldn't? I mean, it's so easy. One click away. One slippery slope. The cliff is right there, but I'll just take a little peek closer over 
I know there's people in here who've got to be struggling with something like that. It says in James 1, 14 to 15, But each person is tempted. When he is lured and enticed by his own desire, by his own desire, blame it on the world, blame it on that computer, blame it on anything else, but it's really from your own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Sin will take you where you don't want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. So I imagine Lot, in this cave, an old man, once seemingly had the riches of the world, now he has nothing but what he's got in his cave. Unknowingly, father and the enemies of Israel. And he wonders, he's sitting there, I, went, I imagine, in his old age, how did I get here? All basically alone. How did I get here? And it was one compromise at a time. One compromise at a time. But not so with God. For God's mercy is great. God has a plan. You can sink how low you can imagine. There's always lower. But God can still be there. If you can breathe the air in this room, God is still there. He can rescue you from your sin. He can rescue you from your lostness. And we wonder how Lot ever got there. I wouldn't know if it wasn't in Second Peter 2, 7 through 8. If I didn't see it here, he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. If I did not see that there, I would think Lot was lost and dead and buried and without God. But God's righteousness that he gives to us, God's righteousness is not our righteousness. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Christ has done. We embrace that righteousness and find freedom in the truth of the gospel. That is where righteous Lot and righteous Abraham found their salvation. So I wonder, what sins have you taken? What sins have taken you farther than you want to go? kept you longer than you want to stay and are costing you more than you want to pay are you doing battle or are you compromising are you trapped like Abraham in a cycle of sin it says in Proverbs 3 5 and 6 trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight God is faithful and he can save you from no matter how low you think you've fallen. He can save you out of that. And Christian, wherever you're at, God can restore you and draw you closer to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your mercy. Above all things, I thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. And what he has done for us, taking the place on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved as lost sinners. I give you the praise and glory for what you have done and continue to do, redeeming us, reconciling us unto yourself. And to that we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.